Welcome, my friends, to the Swiss Power IT Leader. Share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as every week, I have my two co-hosts, Art Holton and Paul Lewis. Hello, guys. Hey there. The only one that is home is Howard. But <laughs> <laughs> how do you know that's Howard's home? That might be a virtual background of his home. That's true. That's true. No, no, I'm at I'm at home today. <laughs> uh, amazingly enough, like I went from uh 200 plus days last year to uh like 40 days 50 days in the first six in the first five months right. now to effectively zero in the last few it's going to pick up again over summer right um yep. I'm now i'm now firmly tied to the convention schedule um so i'll be going to pretty much every major and and probably 40 minor events this year any of the is uh, snowflake one of those conventions next week is Snowflake next week? Yes. I, I think I added it to my list. I'm not sure that I booked my travel list. Starts on the 14th, Monday. Well, I guess I should get in, get on top of that then. Imagine imagine the types of meals we could have. Um, um, yeah, that sounds sounds delightful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to enjoy my feijoada in Brazil. So I can nice. guess. <laughs> how, how is it? You know, it's really interesting we are probably like 10 minutes from farmland. So um, I've been flying drones, filming farmland, like all the stuff. Uh, the family get together and they do a huge barbecue style with everything that you can imagine. So it's been uh, really interesting. Coffee is good, really good. <laughs> See, so you got to go a little further north if you want the coffee to get better. I have, a, I have a friend who spent four years living with uh, farmers in Colombia. Yeah. And it's a little, it, that, that was good times for me because he'd be like, hey, I found this farmer who's got his own coffee. You want some? And then I'd just randomly receive a bag, you know, a, a one to five pound bag of coffee in the mail. Would you have to self-roast? Like, this is raw beans? No, no, no. It, was all, it came roasted. Okay. They would, of, course, of course they would roast it. Because... <laughs> Because otherwise you can't like you can't trust that I was not going to going to destroy him. Thing, you know. <laughs> but yeah, that was awesome. I probably got I don't know forty pounds of coffee and it's a lot of coffee. It was a lot of coffee. I gave away a lot of coffee. <laughs> I imagine a big burrow bag. <laughs> yeah, we were trying to put something together um, to to import because because there's a ton of. Um, like in Colombia, you've got you've got a bunch of very, very, very large farms yeah. that produce most of the coffee. And then you have a ton of tiny family farms whose coffee never, ever, ever leaves, you know, the country. Right. And we were trying to put together, like, is there some way to almost democratize the, the import mm -hmm. process to get the coffee, you know, out in the rest of the world? Right. And it was not possible? Um. No, the problem actually ended up being the guy in Colombia. He he just he wasn't uh, he wasn't really dedicated enough to make it work. And if you Got don't it. have heart, it's not none of it's going to work. Got it. So they were listening to different things. Uh, anything interesting this week? Any ideas? Anything that could be uh, used in the real world? Because in here, all that I'm hearing is chit chat, and I don't know what's true or what is false. A little bit of gossip here, a little bit of something there. Yeah, I mean, 
uh, I'm going through a refi right now, right? So I'm really kind of trying to pay attention to, and we, and we were shopping for a house, um, but the market is so strained. And between the market and uh, interest rates, right? We were like, ah, I'm not sure this is the right time to buy, right? And so right. we were listening to kind of every smart and not so smart, reasonably authoritative source you could find, trying to figure out, you know, uh, are interest rates going to continue to go up? Are interest rates going to drop? If they're going to drop, when are they going to drop? Is that going to correspond to a dip in the market? Right? Is that right. at all reasonable reasonable to, to develop a strategy around um, and trying to figure out, you know, is it gossip or is it reality? And it was, we were really struggling with it so much so that we just decided to refi and sit for six months and see what happens. I realize, yeah. you know, not necessarily tech related, but I think everyone's really concerned about what's going on with interest rates. Yeah. My inflation is an issue. Well, and we uh, use interest rates as a tool to curb uh, inflation. Right. Right. Um, my, my bet is end of summer, we're going to see a sharp drop in interest rates. Interesting. Right. Because there's a lot of spending, consumer spending that goes on during summer. So if you if you lower interest rates now, combine that with the increase that's going to come in spending from it, that already is going to be on that will, would, would then be on top of summer spending. Um, you're going to do the opposite. Right. You're, you're going to you're going to allow inflation to spiral again. But if you wait until the kids go back to school, which is traditionally when most of our major spending stalls. Right. Everybody's yep. got the tax return. Kids are back in school. You're not interested in changing houses. You're not right. likely, you know, do your big car spending. You're not doing your big family vacations. Um, as soon as that, that stall happens, that stumble hits, right, figure mid-September, I think we're going to see a, a, a solid drop in interest rates to try to, because then, then you're going to, you are going to have this big stumble. Can't stop economic growth. And I think we're going to have, we're then going to see uh, interest rates respond uh, positively. In the dip before Black Friday. Uh, yeah, because Black Friday doesn't really like Black Friday makes no real difference on inflation. But it's a pretty big spend period, is it not? Between it Black is. Friday and Christmas, it is, and you need to you need to maintain that that spend, right? So you need cash to be a little cheaper to get because if right. if that causes another stumble, and you get shrinkage in the economy, you've kind of undone exactly what you're out to, and then you might get into uh, reactionary hyperinflation, which would be the worst thing in the world. Oh, somebody just came in. Anybody we know, Carlos? No, that's my oldest. Um, so, so thinking about that, if we think in a corporation, they're normally paying attention to what's happening. Could be the inflation, could be new technology, could be a lot of chit-chat from different places. And sometimes that could be something that sounds like gossip. Sometimes it may transfer and become actual valid information when it matures how does a cio pay attention and know the difference between both so it depends how important each one of your sources are so i've i've had the privilege of having three in-person physical cio roundtables recently uh, and the topics have all been the same so there was a uh, sort of global talent topic you know, you might refer to it resignation, great resignation, but it was mostly about how do I retain my talent? Then there is a cloud conversation. And most of that was, what do I do with my most expensive and most complex applications? 
then there was a data component of the conversation to say, how do I sort of shift my IT spending into creating insights? Um, and then there was a little bit of conversation on security, right? To say, while I'm pretty good on the outside, I'm less good on the inside. How do I protect the assets, not just from my insider organization, but my assets that I always felt were so deep in the network that I didn't have to worry about it. And now I have to worry about it. Right? Um, and I would say most CIOs I talked to in those roundtables, they believe that their best information assets are other CIOs. Sure, they'll dip in the Gartners and Foresters and Gigomes and all those kind of things. And they'll get, you know, they'll get sort of summaries of what maybe hundreds or thousands of people think. But it's the real world stories that I think moves a trend to, sorry, moves a, a gossip to a trend. At least that's what I believe I heard when I talked to them. It's, it's interesting, the, the kind of peer review, because that's what everybody wants. And everybody yeah. wants the same peer review. Right. The people that I care about, I want to hear a, the, a story that makes it real. Mm. Right. Facts and figures are great, but the reality is we don't exist, exist in facts and figures. We exist in the day to day stories that move our life forward. Right. Yeah. Um, I, right before this, I had a call um, where that was exactly the point. Right. What we really want you to do is bring those stories that you have and tell them to our team. Right. So they get some yeah. understanding of what your day to day life looks like. Then they can figure out how to talk. If you just say, hey, here's a bullet. Here's five bullets that you need to focus on. It doesn't really work. Right? Especially localized. So the last one I was in was Friday, Friday no, Thursday night in Calgary. Um, and the global talent part of our conversation, which would not shock you, was at least 50 percent of that four hour conversation, like a very long conversation. And of those two hours, Many of the stories were about a disjointed localization of staff. So most of those organizations were used to having staff live and work in Calgary, um, go to the office, constantly meet, work, do what they need to do. But as um, over the last couple of years, people have moved home, they've moved away, they move out of the city, they have little to no desire to go into the office. And of some of those sort of five to 10 year tenured people, they've moved on to bigger jobs with more salary. So having to replace those people, they've had to specifically state in the job description and through the interviewing process that we have zero expectation that you show up to this Calgary office. In fact, I'm not even necessarily going to look in Calgary for those resources, I'm perfectly fine looking in other cities, in other provinces, in other countries, even though you know, they, they wouldn't necessarily desire it to be true. So I'm finding even the local, the localization of the story becomes important. Almost two years ago, we had this conversation, right? And you're, if you remember, our take on it was, this is fantastic because now... I no longer have a 20 to 25 mile radius around my office to search for, but rather I have a two to four time zone radius mm -hmm. to search. Right. And, and wow, this is amazing. Right. Like our take on this was super early, super easy, super, you know, embracing the remote work kind of future. We saw the writing on the wall, right? You can't yeah. give someone 
a benefit and then take it away when they have nothing to do with the giving or the taking, right? You want to take it away because I failed some responsibility bar. Cool. You take it away to be arbitrary. No, I'm sorry. You cannot do that. I've now become used to it. This now fits my life. Um, and really early on in this whole pandemic, we said, this is the way it's going to change. Um, I'm continually amazed how hard it is for people to get over it, right? Mm. How hard it is for people to kind of, kind of understand that, that no, 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 good leadership means you don't actually have to watch your people. I think that that's the key. You just hit something very important. We used to think that leadership was, I am walking in front of you. And if, if you probably remember office, uh, office space. Yep. Um, they, they had it on, I think that was prime about two weeks ago. And I haven't watched it in a while. So I watched the whole thing. <laughs> and to see the guy with the cup of coffee, like literally just walking. How's it going? <laughs> TPS report. I actually one time worked for a company that had a TPS report. I don't remember what the heck it was. But they had the TPS report. And it calls understanding that now your leadership need to completely switch. So you can trust your people, be able to help them with, like you said, what can I take that is holding you from accomplishing the goal for your role? And come to me when there's a stumbling block and when I remove it so you can continue doing it. I think that that's the biggest challenge. How do you or both of you look at that for the people that you work with? It's it's actually the easiest thing in the world. So so I would say it's two things. The first is management does not equal leadership, does not equal management. Mm -hmm. They are very distinctly separate skills, right? The second is trust. Leadership requires trust. Your people have to trust you, but far more importantly, you must trust them. Yep. Right? The second you trust your people, my director of infrastructure is going to do the job. I'm going to trust them to do the job. And every decision I make is going to come from a place of trust. The second I make that decision, I don't actually need to watch them. Right? I, I know they're going to bubble up those things that are important for me to know. They're going to answer any question that I have as well as they can. And I trust that if they can't answer the question, they'll answer honestly and then find the answer for me if it's important that I know. Yep. Right. I, I agree. I use different words. I use transparency and empowerment. Right. So I have an expectation of 100 percent transparency from my leadership to me, from me to my leadership, and that I empower you to do your job because you're probably better at your job than I am. Right. So you do things that you have to do. And then when you require either a decision or um, you need me to to provide some value in some way for your job, then I'm happy to do so. But I'm not about to micromanage each one of your activities because I presume that you know what you're doing. Generally. Right. Uh, 150%, right? But I, but I think, yeah. like, I don't want to move past that for a minute. Okay. Because I think it's really, really, really important to understand if you can't trust your people, start, look, look to yourself first, right? Is there something about me that's preventing me from trusting? Right? If you have 12 people that work for you and 10 of them you don't trust, that's a you problem. Mm -hmm. 
you have 12 people that work for you and there are two you don't trust, that might be a them problem and you probably should look at it. Right. Right. Um, and, and until you get over that, you're not going to get anywhere. Responsibility must come with empowerment. Right. You can't have one without the other. Right. You, if you're yeah. responsible for it, then you must also have, be, have the authority to execute it. Right, you can't. Presuming take you as the CIO, have also been empowered by your CEO or your CEO or your CFO. Kind of, yeah. Because I would say your lack of empowerment and your lack of authority should not translate to your people equally. Mm. Like there, there may very well be areas that you simply don't have the authority. Right, you can't right? purchase I mean, anything that, greater than a million dollars. Correct. You can't right. purchase anything greater than a dollar. Right. Right. Whatever it happens to be. Like, okay, cool. That creates one fence post. That creates one guardrail. That right. doesn't mean you then put an infinite number of guardrails on your people. Right? And and part of it really is figuring out, you know, what's a real guardrail, what's not a real guardrail, making sure your people understand and have an expectation. Hey, here's your guardrails. I trust you implicitly within those guardrails. If you need to go outside of them, hey, just bubble it up. Right. What's important that you know? And never get mad at your people for not telling you something that you didn't make sure they knew was important that you know. Hey, I didn't think that was important, boss. Cool. Just for future reference. That's the kind of stuff I want to know. But moving forward, that's great. You know, not worried about it now. Let's 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 get going. So is there any other way other than you know, person to person networking or those round tables where you get these stories, right? These these sort of hard-earned facts versus, you know, something that uh, that that a uh, an analyst would provide you. I or mean, the real way. No, I mean, sure. There's a like, there's a thousand ways, right? I can read the story that someone wrote. I can read an interview. I can listen to an interview. I can listen to a webinar, right? But all of them are active, 100% active, right? It requires someone to 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 really look for them, to really focus on them, to really push them and to be interested in them. Right. right? I've been interviewed where I've started to tell a story and they've, and, and they've cut me off and moved on. And I'm like, I think you just missed the most important, the most valuable piece, <laughs> right? Or well, I listen to few minutes. But well, that's true. That's true. They may know me and go, this <laughs> tell a story in less than 25 minutes. Therefore, we're just going to skip past it. But I've seen them do it to other, to other speakers many times before, right? And, and, and I think it is incumbent upon whoever the enabler is to really seek out stories, hmm. right? Again, we live in stories, right? Our minds wake up and sparkle when, the, when we hear the sounds of a story. I do think there's value, especially when you're discerning the difference between, you know, a rumor and a trend is the ability to do live disagreements. So what a round table gives you, especially a physical round table, less so a virtual round table, because it's very, it's very one after the other, right? Uh, in a physical setting, you can actually disagree with your peer, right? To say, uh, one of the famous disagreements I heard in the last three times were the difference between agnostic and native, but less interesting was the difference between um, work from home as house uh, sorry work from the office has as having positive impacts so i've heard some cios saying work from office was never good i don't know why we ever forced it uh yay yay kind of present virtual 
when another half of that room was saying, no, no, there was absolutely positives of working in the office. And here are some great examples. You can't possibly tell me that being in person at a whiteboard doesn't have some advantages as compared to the virtual version of that. Uh, I mean, we've spent 400,000 years developing as a society, developing as human beings. We are absolutely unequivocally built for in-person communication. Right. There is no two ways about it, right? You're never going to build the social side of your job better than you can in person. Right. Right. Yeah. The social side of your job is not 100% of your job. True. So even if you move, and, and again, we said this two years ago, right? Even if you move 100% virtual, I still recommend pay to put your people in the same physical room four times a year, twice a year. If you can only do it once a year, do it once a year, right? Build teams, not pay individuals. Build teams. Building teams has to be done to some large percentage in person. Right. Do a team building. You know, get everybody together once a week. Do team building for a week, right? Do in-person whiteboarding. Encourage the people who live in the same cities to get together. Right. It's likely that you have some. You're going to have some outliers, some people that are seven hours away from everybody else. Right. You have to be a little more active. But if you've got two people in L.A., encourage those two people to get together, right? Yeah. If, grab a coffee, if, grab a meal, whatever you right. need to do. Right. Especially if they're cross-team. Right. If they're near field, it's even more valuable to get them together. Right. Right. Someone from network and someone from DevOps. If you can put those two people in the same room, you're going to shortcut all kinds of miscommunication simply by having that back channel communication. That I think we lost your audio. There is no, yeah, there is no solution for that. Right. There is no there's no better way to do that. Um, so. So, yeah, I mean, but again. Right, kind of to your to your to, to my comment on your prior comment. I'm not a human being that lives in black and whites. So I live in nuance. Right, I live in grayscale. And, and the disagreements create the nuance. I find right. So when you're lit, when you're reading a blog or listening to a podcast, while you can disagree in your head, <laughs> there's value in actually having you know a, an argument, not a mean argument, but an argument to say, you know, this has not been my uh, reflection on reality, right? My team doesn't work that way. My organization's culture thinks differently. And because of that, I have a different perspective of the value between some of these technology trends. Sure. sure. But, but I also want to, like, I think it's really, really important that we acknowledge that there are true isms that, that are true. I don't care what your experience is. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like the, the sky is blue unless it is covered in gray clouds. You know what I mean? Like, right. you need water to survive, food, shelter, comfort. You, you know what I mean? Like, like there's right. all the, all of these things that are truisms. Gravity exists whether you like it or not. <laughs> right. And, and I'm sorry, but again, 400,000 years of human evolution have some requirements. So, so uh, like, I, I do take a little bit of an issue with people who, who well, in my experience, science is wrong. Mm, but it's not. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to have discourse, but we all have to come from a from a place of the discourse really being, being you know, coming from a good place. That you're not poisoning the discourse because you don't want to hear it. Right. 
right? And and I think that's I think that's something that that frankly we're losing, right? We're losing the ability to think and discuss things critically without it being personal, right? The number of the number of 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 discourses I've had where where they've been personal is so few as to be able to be counted on one hand and 0% of them happen in the office. Right. So you can disagree with me all you want. It's fine because it's not personal. It's not a reflection on, on who I am as a person that you disagree with me. That's <laughs> Actually, one of the observations was exactly that. One of my observations watching the last few roundtables was that um, it is very rare for an individual CIO to blame themselves. Right. It's very rare when uh, CIO has asked me, you know, I've only been able to move and migrate 20 percent of my workload to the cloud. What's stopping me from doing it, doing any other percentage? And my answer to them is it's obviously you. Right? It's clearly your <laughs> inability to perceive value in the cloud because it can't possibly be 80 percent of your workloads aren't physically possible to move to the cloud or modernize to the cloud or consume a SaaS product. Like there right. are many different things to make that happen. And you can see them taken aback from that comment. They say, it can't possibly be me. It's everybody but me. But they, it comes out in an in-person roundtable. And you're not gonna get that from reading a blog or listening to For a sure. podcast or interviewing with an analyst. You're gonna get that when peers network amongst each other. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, and let's be honest, if you are running into an obstacle, doesn't matter what the obstacle is, it is you. Because right. you is the only one you can actually change. <laughs> right. I can't change anybody else, even if they work for me. Right. Right? I can ask them to change. I cannot change them. Right. The only one I can change is me. So why not start with yourself? Right. I've owned 20% of my workloads have made it to the cloud. What are the five things I can do personally to increase that percentage? Right. And you're right. So few people start there. They just basically go, I'm going to tell them it's, that's not enough. Yeah, but that doesn't really help. It doesn't really solve anything. <laughs> right. right. What were the guardrails that you placed? Right. right. Like, take a look at that. What is, the, what is the definition of ideal cloud workload that you established? How did right. you set priority? Oh, you or didn't simply measure success that? differently. If, you're, right. if you only had one measure of success for cloud, which was saving money, then I could see, yeah, only 20% are going to meet that criteria. <laughs> maybe you measure agility, maybe you measure scale, maybe you measure other things that might actually increase the number of workloads that could actually move to the cloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An ROI shouldn't be limited to just financial. Right. Right. Again, the goal of cloud, reduce technical debt, increase agility. Everything else is a side effect. Right. So reducing cost is a terrible success measure. It's fine as a tertiary right. success measure. Right. Yes, I want it to be cheaper. But my primary two goals need to be agility and reduction of technical debt. Because anything else and you're fooling yourself. All you're doing is is you know moving the crap from one hand to the other. Right. Mm -hmm. And and hoping that someone else is gonna manage the debt better. And, yeah. and in which case you'll never get the agility, which is really what cloud is focused on. And, it, and especially relevant if you have a very small team, right? If you only have a person doing this work, there's no amount of cloud savings that's going to reduce that person to be less than a person. Right? Nope. You still have to hire this person, right? So yep. 
<laughs> You're not going to get anything out of that. Sure, if you have 300 people, yeah, I might be able to find 30 people's worth of stuff. But right. one person is not going to happen. The last observation I'd make um, is that you get to witness a lot of consistency in thought process. So in other words, the same CIO who said there was never a good in-person you know, team-based experience is the exact same person who said it's cloud only, right? It's never cloud edition. It's the exact same person who said, I'm going to build a blockchain version of my next thing, right? <laughs> it's very consistent. So you could have arguments between what I'll refer to as the old school command and control CIOs in that room versus the new school innovation CIOs in that room. Uh, but they're competing against different story, right? If I'm a, if I only have five workloads and they're 100% in the cloud, I buy that that works for you. But if I had 5,000 workloads, I'm a 150 year old company and nobody's going to give me a billion dollars to convert any of those to the cloud. I honestly don't think you're talking the same language. You can't compare the two. One's not better than the other because you're not experiencing the same reality. For sure. Uh, so, so I would like to make a, a, a really strong statement. Um, neither of those CIOs are good CIOs. <laughs> CIOs, not the CIO you want, right? And, and all digital CIOs, not the CIO you want. And the reason I say this is simple. A good leader exists, lives, breathes, dies in nuance. Mm. A CIO should never attempt to remove nuance from a conversation, but should attempt to understand, simplify, and explain nuance. Right. That, that's the, that is just the job. Right? The second right. I've decided that it's black and white, I've, I've already lost. <laughs> right. Very rarely is it a flip of a coin, these decisions. It's yeah, much it's more likely to be a spectrum. Yep. It's not a light switch decision. There's almost no decision that's a light switch decision. Right. Except, do I want coffee? Yes <laughs> or no? Right. right? Yes. Like, I can't even honestly say, do you have to pee is necessarily a light switch decision. Because it could very frequently be, not at the moment, but I do sense it coming on. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, at least in the next 60 minutes, it might occur. Right, right. Not now, but probably after this call. <laughs> right. So, so I really like, I want to encourage our, our listeners, right? Um, look for the nuance because I promise you it's there. It's there in every single thing. And the nuance is, is where you're providing value. The nuance is where you exist. The nuance is the layer that is your business on top of what otherwise would be a black and white technology decision. And if you if you don't see the nuance, you're missing something huge that's just going to cost you. It's going to cost you reputation. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you people. It's going to cost you trust. It's going to cost you something. Look for that nuance and understand that nuance. Carlos? Well, definitely. Taking the time to understand when you should listen and when you should take action. When will the gossip will transform into insight? But I think that the biggest piece that I took for today, and I hope that our audience also remember, you need to trust your team because that insight that you receive 
or that it was a gossip, but now you want to implement it or you want to do something new, if you don't trust your team, you will never move forward. You need to trust your team so you can go. My friends, make sure that you share, you subscribe, and we'll see you on our next episode.